Coming to you from Whidbey Island, Washington, this is Stories from Women Who Walk. You'll recognize yourself in these true life stories from women who are walking their lives while their lives walk them and the lasting difference these journeys have made. I'm your host, Diane Wisga. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with my guest, Dr. Miriam Hadness, founder of Workshops Work, who joined us from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Like many of us, Dr. Hadness was on a successful professional track when life threw her a curveball, transforming her from behavioral economist to noted podcaster, workshop facilitator, and coach of facilitators. I asked Dr. Hadness, what do you offer as a facilitator that's different? Let's hear what she has to say. facilitation because of two things. First, I didn't go through the training and certification of the traditional facilitator. Well, what is a traditional facilitator? I think that's that's why it's so problematic <laughs> to actually explain what a facilitator is because there's no education, no proper education for facilitation. It's something that you grow into and it's a path that you choose at some point. What I do differently, I think, is I bring the perspective of behavioral sciences, what I studied. So I, I do have a curiosity and an understanding for human behavior. And what I did in my previous life at uni was designing experiments to help individuals to take better decisions and to nudge ourselves to get out of our own way. So we know that very often we are, we are acting in a way that is unhealthy or that is um, not helpful. What can we do as a micro-intervention to help us make better decisions and act in a better way? And this knowledge or this um, way of thinking I bring to the facilitation world and to group collaboration. So how can we help groups of individuals to step out of their own way, to communicate better, to collaborate better? And what I do today is through the podcast, I also realized that I'm interviewing all these beautiful facilitators. They're doing amazing work, workshop work. And I see myself now more like a coach or a guide for fellow facilitators to help them bring their workshops to a next level and their facilitation skills and mindset to the next level instead of facilitating workshops myself. Because I don't see myself as a... I don't want to compete with those I lift. I am creating this community and I'm... Um, 
showing all these different edges to facilitation by interviewing my guests that I think my value add today after almost 100 episodes is that all of these conversations are in my mind. I know all of that. So I can create ideas, I can generate ideas about how to bring a workshop to the next level, how to play with designs, with ex exercises, how to think out of the box to bring a new edge. I can do this very quickly now because I had 100 mentors who told me what the magic ingredients are to make a workshop work. Does it, it, make it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it, it makes absolutely perfect sense. So um, nurturing the nurturers has become facilitating the facilitators, if you will. You took your natural talents and abilities and gifts that you discovered and transformed those into workshops work within which you were gathering together a collective of like-minded people who shared with you. So you were listening to them, listening out their stories. They were teaching you. And now the next phase, if you will, is to move into that space where you're in turn sharing what you've learned, how you've learned it, bringing your own insights to it and saying, okay, this is the wider, this is the wider workshop idea. This is, this is the opportunity to train, teach, facilitate others who are in this very same calling profession. Mm. So yes, it makes absolutely perfect sense. And it makes absolutely brilliant sense in terms of how you are casting the net wider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is, to come back to your question about what what drives me or what is the mission behind it, I think when you ask where does the name come from and what is behind it, I think it's really this, I am convinced that we can change the world one workshop at a time. <laughs> I do believe that what we need today is more collaboration we need better communication and collaboration and communication happens in workshops. And if we can help team leaders, managers, trainers, educators, spouses become better facilitators of conversations, we can have better conversations, better collaboration, thereby have a better world. So this global, this, this global intention comes back to uh, the home, um, the school, the school place, such as we have it right now, because so many of our former face-to-face, life-to-life activities are now on different platforms, of which Zoom is probably, you know, mm -hmm. the poster child. But you're advocating that 
we don't leave this idea in the business or corporate world, we actually look for ways to facilitate good conversations, encouraging conversations in the home, in the community, Mm. in whatever space we are inhabiting. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. How do you get people to do that? I think it's a, it's a mindset shift where as a facilitator, you, you don't have stakes in the outcome, but you have the curiosity and the trust that the people that you're facilitating the journey for they already have the answers. They know the answers. They just need someone to ask the right questions and help them along the way and build the trust to bring these answers a step forward. So I think a facilitator, yes, ends what they hear, encouraged to think out of the box, but also set boundaries to say if it's out of scope, help to make sense of what's coming up, prioritize. Um, and I think, especially in the in homes, when we think of just yes ending and listening with curiosity, listening to understand instead of listening to reply, and trusting that something good will come out without being married to a outcome solution. I think this would change a lot of dynamics we have and experience at home, where we so often want to be right and we have our very clear idea how things should be. But why? What if else? And um, so one, one magic question in the facilitation world is, how might we? Blank. And this is the space where ideas emerge, where conversations happen, where creativity happens. What you're saying uh, strikes very close to home for me. Um, when I was very early in my storytelling uh, role several decades ago, I was lucky to have as one of my mentors, um, a fellow by the name of Doug Lippman, who in the workshops and the small workshops that we attended uh, said two things. He said many things, but he said two things that I've carried uh, with me over all these decades. And the first is listen with deep appreciation. So when we were having an exercise, when someone was telling a story, listen with deep appreciation. That, that, That was your job. And the second was that people needed stories listened out of them, that they knew the story they wanted to tell, but they didn't know they knew it. And so when I coined the term story doula for myself, it was with that idea that you know 
And that's where the level of respect comes from. You know the story you want to tell. You just don't know you know it. And so someone midwives that story out of you. So so we are we are very much uh, simpatico in our uh, visions uh, of shifting cultures, shifting behaviors, shifting attitudes. By having that idea of yes and instead of yes but, and bringing that deep appreciation to whatever setting. We're in. Mm. And you're making such an important point that actually listening to reply is what unfortunately the default is to many. Listening to understand is the next step. Listening to just appreciate seems like uh, the higher <laughs> art. It, uh, yeah. And it, it is very definitely something that someone almost has to point out to you. Uh, I call it listening to the music of the spoken word. So I listen to music mm. to appreciate it. We don't listen to Rachmaninoff to reply to it. Uh, we don't listen to Leontine Price sing her soprano to reply to it. We might respond in terms of an emotion, but we're there to receive the music, to feel the music, to hear the music, to understand what is that soprano conveying to us, loss, love, betrayal, joy, life. And so perhaps if we took that notion of listening to the music of the spoken word, we can enhance the opportunity to understand and, and, and in turn be understood. Yes. And what you say makes me think of one fact that we often forget that we only hear what we actually want to hear. So our brain is doing a filtering exercise for us and we don't control what parts of our story are heard by the recipient. And we don't know whether what we hear is actually the full truth and the full story or just the reflection of our own story in the words of someone else. And the, I realized that, yeah, to come back to the Vipassana experience, I did by now four or five Vipassana retreats. And the retreats are always organized in the same way. And every evening you have a one-hour discourse by um, Gwenka who invented this um, method. And the interesting thing is that every time I came, I sat there listening to exactly the same words because it was a recording, I heard something different. And everyone who sits in this room hears something that they need to hear. 
And I think it's important to remind ourselves of that because many of the misunderstandings that happen in teams, in families, in relationships, is because we hear something that might not have been said. Or we say something that might not be heard. What might be the single most important tip that you could give to someone around that? Not not necessarily perfected, but just begin to go into that world and make a shift, not a radical change that might come in time. Mm. The one thing that I try to apply, sometimes I still fail, is whenever I hear something that evokes a reaction and maybe, um, yeah, an emotional reaction, I ask, I heard this, is this what you said? Or when you say this, I hear that. So... Maybe a silly example. I was in a relationship and my partner back then, when I would serve myself more food, he would ask me the simple question, are you still hungry? What I heard was, are you sure you want to have this extra food because otherwise you're getting fat? That's <laughs> very kind of stereotypical. Very stereotypical. And he was an engineer. He was, um, yeah, maybe a bit in the spectrum. And when, and I reacted in a weird way when he asked me, "Are you still hungry?" I became bitchy. But he didn't know what was going on in my brain. And then at one point we started this routine that I, I would then tell him, "Okay, you asked me if I'm still hungry. What I hear is." I should not eat that much because I'm getting fat. Is this what you mean? And he started laughing at me. He was like, no, I'm just curious because I see that you eat. You look fantastic. I'm just curious whether you're still hungry because I'm not. <laughs> so... <laughs> so this little routine now, um, I think, saved. Well, it didn't save that relationship. <laughs> but it did provide some insights. <laughs> And I think it um, yeah saved many other friendships and relationships just to just to clarify. You say this, I hear that. Is this what you mean? Thank you for that. And what you said earlier, and what I believe I heard, was some excitement around this passion project. Would this be a, a good place <laughs> to talk a little bit about what that is, how it came to be? when it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, always happy to talk about my passion project, right? You've got the microphone. Everyone does. Yes, um, thank you. So how it came to be is um, through the podcast, through the community, through my mentors, those I interviewed. And I realized they have so much more to offer than what we could cover in the episode. And when I went to conferences, 
there is always this feeling of dissatisfaction, like, oh, I've been there, I've done that, seen that, I want something new. There's so much more we could do if we just dared. What would we do if we were not afraid? And I came up with this daringly crazy idea. What if we organized a conference that is actually a festival that we will call Never Done Before, where podcast guests will host a workshop in a format or on a topic or with a method that they've never done before. So that participants who join that will experience something that is totally new to them. It might not be perfect, but it will definitely inspire them to try new things and to do things differently. So on November 20th, 2020, we have a 24 hours global online festival called Never Done Before, where 30 expert facilitators will host sessions in a way that they've never done before. And we will dance with the status quo and dance with the fear of failure and inspire the new the new trends of facilitation so clearly clearly walking the tightrope without the net <laughs> yeah yes yes um and i was in the beginning Many of the collaborators or those who heard about the project were in awe and said, Miriam, you're so courageous and it's great what you're doing. You're visionary. And I realized that, no, I'm just naive. I was naive <laughs> enough to, to start that because I could not overlook all the complexity um, and all the effort and all the work and all the cost it actually entails. And now... Two weeks, 10 days before the festival. Um, I'm glad that I was naive enough to start it because it's, um, it's coming to place. We broke even. We can cover the costs. We have participants. Um, and it's going to be magic. Thank goodness for the innocents in the world or those who are naive enough to ask, what if? And so let me ask you this, since this podcast episode will launch after your project, will you have mm. links for that project in the website that we can add to the episode notes so that someone can visit it a little bit after the fact? Yes, it's neverdonebefore.org. And... It will happen again. Next year, in November, we'll have the second second edition of our oh, global excellent. festival. Excellent. So people sure. can look forward to something yeah. happening in the dark months. Exactly. Exactly. And we might have an entire year of co-designing, co-creating this festival because we can. So I this seems like an appropriate place. Um, to share this, I 
a prior guest, abstract artist Ruth Dent, who's in France, um, sent me this quote that um, the former director of the Victoria and Albert Museum in London shared with her. And it says, uh, or as she said, and then after looking back and seeing how far you've come, look forward and see, imagine how far you can go. So with that in mind, where do you mm -hmm. imagine your work will take you next? Mm. I do see this community sticking together and playing together and co-creating new things. I think in our world today, we just don't have enough space to, to experiment with imperfection and with raw ideas and invite others to join us in this experimental journey. So if I can help create and foster and nurture this community of facilitators to, to join this co-design project, to work a year long on a festival where everyone will experience something that they have never experienced before. I think this is really magic. Imagine how many things can, can happen, can be designed, created if we all work on it together. Because now it was three months, I think, that we started the co-design project and we invited just facilitators from around the globe for a small fee of 20 euros to join the co-design project of the festival. So we had meetups and we invited them. We collected their ideas, their feedback. And what came out of that is truly magic. Imagine we have an entire year to do that. Imagine that. Yes. Before I say thank you to our guest, I do want to mention that all social media links and connections to Dr. Miriam Hadness, to Miriam, to her website, will be posted in the episode notes. And I would encourage everyone who's taking a listen here to drop by and check out all the many resources she has available, the images, um, the, the free newsletters, the listen to the podcasts. It is it's a treasure trove. It is an absolute treasure trove of not only information, but education and entertainment and motivation. It's, it's the place to go. It is the place to go. So Miriam, I want to thank you so very much for walking along with us, sharing your life story, which I trust will be of very good use and inspiration to those who are ready to step out and to those who may not be so ready, but when they are, can look back and say, ah, one day I listened to someone who did this and you know what? Now I can too. 
this would be lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me and for yeah, bringing out these stories um, with your questions, your listening. It feels like a warm shower and a wonderful gift. <laughs> You're welcome. It's the guests that make it. So it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing part of your evening with us and thank you to everyone that's been listening along. Here we are at the end of the road, but not the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories from Women Who Walk with your host, Diane Wisga, and my guest, Dr. Miriam Hadness, noted facilitator, podcaster, and founder of Workshops Work, based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Remember to visit Dr. Hadness and check out all the many resources, podcast episodes, and videos available to you on her website, as well as keeping in touch with Miriam and her work on social media platforms. All links are in the episode notes. You're also invited to check out over 230 episodes of Stories from Women Who Walk, found on Simplecast or your favorite podcast platform. This is the place to thrive together. Come for the stories, stay for the magic. And speaking of magic, I hope you'll subscribe, share a nice shout out, on your social media or podcast channel of choice and join us next time. You will have wonderful company as we walk our lives together 